0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with Conversation Highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Leading off, it's Mark Gregston of the radio program Parenting Today's Teens, who offers some insight into how to talk with children when they experience loss, a topic that was inspired by the loss of a family pet. You'll be hearing from him coming up. Plus, Trisha Goyer is a noted author, devoted wife, and homeschool mom. She has 10 kids and multiple grandchildren, and is someone who seeks to know the deep satisfaction of Christ even when life tends to get busy, even chaotic. Some of her comments are ahead. And on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, Jeremy Tedesco of Alliance Defending Freedom. He's concerned about groups who are putting pressure on financial entities to reveal the giving practices of their customers in an attempt to limit giving to charities that embrace an ideology that is in opposition to these groups' chosen viewpoints, action that could negatively impact Christian ministries. You'll be hearing more ahead. Finally, empowered by God, our Heavenly Father, Sean Tice is confronting fatherlessness head on through his work with God is My Dad. You can find out how God is helping to strengthen people from fatherless homes, bringing hope and dignity. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Mark Gregston is the founder of Heartlight Ministries, which offers a home for troubled teenagers and the voice heard on the radio program Parenting Today's Teens. He's written a book entitled Where's Stitch? When You Feel Like You've Lost Your Best Furry Friend which is a children's book that deals with elements of grief and loss using the example of the Gregston's family pet, a dog named Stitch. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Mark Gregston.
1: We got a golden retriever 40-some years ago, and so then we decided to mate that golden retriever, and then we kept one of the males, and we made it another, and so we have gone through five generations of dogs of the same lineage where we have held those dogs as puppies and then buried them in our yard, as they age out and get older or experience, you know, cancer or whatever it is, and and um, and so this last dog was a little bit hard for us because uh, our our kids are, don't live with us anymore, of course, and and uh, and it had just become a dog that was with us all the time, and. And I think there's a lot of people out there that know exactly what I'm talking about, that Mm -hmm. the, that, that truly some of you, sometimes your best friend is that dog that listens to you and, and is there and, and, uh, and has a presence and, and gives companionship. And, and this dog especially would listen very well uh, to me as I would rant and rave about different things. And I think there's a lot of qualities that, that God would teach us through our dogs and, and i think there's a commonness that we all have as well. you know, I, I sat around a table in nashville a couple of weeks ago and and people were we were you know, different ages and there wasn't much of a commonness around everybody until we started talking about our dogs. and here's people in their 20s and 30s, 50s and 30s, started crying about losing their dog and what it meant to them. and so that's kind of the the, the, you know, the, the when this dog died, people started telling me that it had crossed the Rainbow Bridge, and I don't even know what that is, or that the dog went to doggy heaven. And I'm not so sure where that is either, <clears throat> or a special place. I don't even know where that special place is. And I thought, you know, this is what we do with loss in life. When we experience loss, we always have to come up with an answer, rather than feeling like the void that's been created in our life by whatever it is that we're missing, whether that be a dog or a spouse or a parent or a child, that we want to immediately fill it up with an answer so that we don't have to grieve through the process and reflect and learn about what God might be teaching us. And so these answers that people gave were so trite to me that it almost angered me a little bit. And so that's where I I started to say, where is stitch anyway where is my dog and i got to tell you i don't know i don't know where she is her her carcass is in our backyard with with four or five other dogs that we've buried here and um, but i don't know where she is and you know what i'm pretty content to not know because it always keeps me wondering and thinking about the wonderful things that i learned from this dog just like everybody else has learned from their dogs if they reflect on it uh long enough to not cover it up with a cheap answer. Loss is loss. I mean, that happens everywhere. And, and the tendency is we fill that void and, and we fill it. I mean, because the next thing is everybody says, well, you need to go get another puppy. And I go, you know what, that's, that's not the answer. This, this dog, if, if man's to have dominion over the animals and God has provided us animals for a reason, then there's something that I think he's wanting to teach us and, and and we have the, the wonderful opportunity to see from birth to death, you know, in a dog, there's some reason why they only live a seventh of the amount of time that we live. And I think it's to teach us a lesson about life. And then when we deal with loss, that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to let God fill those voids in our life. And, and for us to wonder about, I mean, that it creates that wonderment that it's, well, what is heaven going to be like and what is going to be there? That those questions that that, that, that come up rather than a quick answer moves us to, to want more and to know more of God. And, and I think that's what our dogs and cats and animals are trying to teach us, that we have the opportunity to see life in another light so that we can learn more about our life through it as well. And I say that all in a children's book mm. which is which was just kind of amazing the, the, the whole idea was let's get people talking about the death of their dog let's let's i mean a, a young kid that's eight years old's not going to understand the abstract thought of a dog in heaven i mean it's but we can we can say that it's okay to not know everything that we don't have to know everything
0: Mark Gregston here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the book through the website, where'sstitchbook.com. The Parenting Today's Teens website address is parentingtodaysteens.org. Next up, it's the author of the book, Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love During Chaotic Circumstances. Her name is Trisha Goyer, and in a recent Meeting House Conversation, she shared about her inspiration for that book, and how Christians can have their hearts right before God. Here now from that conversation is Tricia Goyer.
2: One verse that I have prayed that has really helped is um, Psalm 139 23. And it Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked or anxious way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And I realize that those wicked or anxious ways or thoughts in me, sometimes it's those feelings of abandonment and those feelings that God doesn't love me. And, and maybe it's not even thoughts that, um, that I have thought, or other pe- maybe sometimes other people have planted, like you, you aren't good enough, or we've heard those voices from other people, and we're reflecting that to God. And so really asking God, first of all, to search our hearts and, and point out those things, but then realizing that, you know, it talks about, you know, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and it's for God so loved. And just asking God to reveal his love to me. And it's, you know, sitting there before him and knowing that um, it doesn't matter what I've done, that he forgives me completely. Now, one of the things in my past is at 15, I chose to have an abortion. And it was something that I really regret, something that I was young, naive, looking to the wrong people for advice, for sure. And for many years, that was a burden. And I thought God couldn't love me. And I was going through a Bible study that I realized, like, if I say that sin is bigger than God, then I can't accept any of His forgiveness. I can't pick or choose what things that I want God to forgive me. I need to either reject His forgiveness or accept it. And once I was willing to open my heart and accept His forgiveness and realize there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God, that He did love me and He gave Himself for me, it just started opening up that freedom. And whenever... Um, those thoughts come back, like I'm not good enough, or I'm not doing enough. I love that scripture that says, capture every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I just say, nope, that's not from God. (laughs) That's not from Him. And then think of Him. And I love going to the Psalms and reading about His goodness and His mercy and His love and just filling my thoughts with those things and asking Him to show me um, His love for me and having faith. I mean, faith is the evidence that we can't see. We can't see God's love, but we can trust it's there so really our heart happiness starts with our mind and being able to say you know what i'm not going to believe that um you know my sins are going to keep me from god but that god forgives me completely and whenever those other thoughts come in just stopping them um you know anything that's trying to separate us from god's love just capturing those thoughts and stopping Mm. them makes a huge difference and something that i've had to do uh, continue. It's not like something I did long time ago and have to worry about it again. It's those feelings of anytime I'm feeling not enough, or I'm feeling insecure. Just asking and praying, God, show me and remind me how much You love me.
0: Where does this fit in in the overall grid of the <laughs> the uh, the Tricia Goyer collection of books?
2: Oh, I love that. That's such a good question because I think so many times. I'm presenting, you know, I'm talking at homeschool conferences, I'm talking at women's conferences, and, you know, when I'm talking about calming kids, calming angry kids, which I do, or grumble for a year, you know, those are more outward, like, these are things that are going to help you in your everyday life, and we're going to help your family not to grumble. And so really, heart happy is almost if you're sitting with me during my quiet time. As I'm exploring these things, as I'm asking questions, as I'm digging into God's Word, in fact, one of my very best friends, um she ended up getting i had her read an early you know before it was in print, an early version of the book. and she said, "You know what, there's so many things in here that I didn't know about you because it's kind of peeling back the layers, and I know you know outwardly I may look like I have all my act together and I'm this professional speaker and author. But I think all of us, no matter if we have, you know, an audience that we're speaking to or not, um, we all have those questions. We all have those doubts. We ha- all have those feelings of discontentment and struggle. And so my friend's like, there's so many things I'm going to talk to you about in this book. Um, and she, like I talked to her multiple times a week. She's one of my best friends, but it really is peeling back the layers and sitting down and saying, okay, I know it looks like I have all my act together out there, but these are the things I'm struggling with. And just knowing, in fact, the feedback that I've gotten from early readers on my launch team, which they were able to read a PDF copy even before it released, so many people are saying things like, I never realized I can truly depend on God's love, or I never realized how much God loves me, or I thought I was the only one struggling with these feelings of uncertainty, or Hmm. I thought I was the only one, you know, trying to not be overwhelmed with this chaos.
0: Tricia Goyer here on The Intersection. Her website is Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, Goyer, G-O-Y-E-R.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by accessing the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast from the homepage to the Media Center as well as the Apple Podcast feed. You can also get connected to video content, including the Faith Radio YouTube channel, where you'll find excerpts from a variety of conversations from the Meeting House program including recently added content from the 2022 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And there's The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Jeremy Tedesco, Senior Counsel and Senior Vice President of Corporate Engagement for Alliance Defending Freedom. In our recent Meeting House conversation, he discussed efforts to restrict charitable giving by groups placing pressure on financial firms, as well as attempts to violate donor privacy. Here now from that conversation is Jeremy Tedesco.
3: There are organizations like Fidelity Charitable, um, that operate donor-advised funds, and, and people can open a donor-advised fund account, and what they become then is a person who recommends where that money goes, and they, and they can recommend basically any charity. And then the organization that runs those, uh, those accounts, like Fidelity Charitable, it ultimately gives a yes or a no. You don't just automatically get to send your money. But the yes and no is, is, is basically always forthcoming, and, and it shouldn't be based Um, as a baseline. It shouldn't be based um, on any kind of disagreement with the philosophical or religious or political beliefs of the recipient organization. Um, And Fidelity Charitable, for instance, actually commits to donors who open these accounts. We're going to be cause neutral. We are not going to discriminate amongst the charities you can give to based on their political or religious beliefs. Well, they're not following through with that promise because of the pressure of activist organizations that are targeting these donor-advised fund accounts and, and organizations that provide them um, with with demands that are you know, ultimately emanating from a desire to cancel organizations and ideas that they disagree with. And, and so what they're telling Fidelity Charitable and other organizations is you need to, one, disclose whoever gave um, to uh, organizations that are on a blacklist that they approach these organizations with. And, of course, those blacklists always include just conservative and religious organizations who these left-wing activists disagree with. And they're also asking Fidelity to impose a political litmus test on giving. So if any of these organizations uh, that are on their blacklist, they need to be excluded from the universe of giving options. And Fidelity has started uh, already caving to these demands. Um, One way they're doing that is they're telling people who have donor-advised fund accounts, that they have to give up their anonymity in order to give to organizations that are on these blacklists. So, for instance, Alliance Defending Freedom, Mm -hmm. where I work, um, if a person with a Fidelity Charitable account wants to uh, give to us, more likely than not, they're going to be told by Fidelity Charitable, you can give, but you have to give up your anonymity. That is a serious deterrent on giving because one of the main reasons people – want a donor advised fund is because it provides them anonymity and giving and like we talked about in the very beginning of this that is one of the most important freedoms protected by the first amendment and so what we have here are activists that are trying to do an end run around what the first amendment protects by going directly to private institutions and demanding and pressuring them to uh you know violate the freedoms that the first amendment protects uh, in their own policymaking. in Fidelity Charitable and these other organizations shouldn't cave to this. They should respect the rights of all their donors and the views of all their donors and just allow the donations to go to organizations regardless of their political or religious outlook.
0: What are these companies that are being pressured necessarily afraid of?
3: I think they're afraid of being drugged through a public relations battle for a long period of time. And, you know, the reality is a lot of the activists on, you know, in the public square, um, especially the left wing activists are very effective at these kinds of ongoing public relations campaigns to try to, you know, solely the image of organizations that are their targets. And so I, I don't think that's the right thing for these corporations to do. But that's why also I think it's so important for Fidelity to hear from people like us, who don't want either our own or our, our friends and people who believe the things we believe to be shut out from these giving opportunities. And so people can go to freedomtogive.org. It's a new website that's it's launched about a week ago, freedomtogive.org. And they can send a message to Fidelity. They can interact with a few other things on that website, learn more about this issue. Uh, but it's really important that this is not a one-way conversation with Fidelity Charitable and these other organizations. They need to hear from people who believe in the freedom of everybody to give uh, to the charities uh, they believe in, regardless of the religious or political, you know, viewpoint of that charity. Um, and you know, we need to hold Fidelity Charitable accountable to their promises that are going to be cause-neutral when it comes to who people can give to. Jeremy Tedesco here
0: on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website freedomtogive.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Sean Tice, the founder and president of Life Factors Fatherless Ministries, he shared about his ministry to those without fathers and highlighted the God is My Dad initiative to offer resources to families without fathers. Here now from that conversation is Sean Tice.
4: I'd say it's our number one social issue in our country. Uh, we're seeing so many different things come from it. You know, Fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, mental illness, suicide, poor education performance, teen pregnancy, criminality. Um, so many things come from it you know, even you heard probably me just say mental illness. You know, a lot of times we medicate a child when sometimes they don't even need it. And, you know, sometimes they do. Sometimes there's a chemical imbalance and they need that medication. Sometimes kids just need some love, somebody to tell them, hey, I believe in you. I care about you. I'm here for you. But when they don't have that, you know, a lot of times they'll cope with that drug and alcohol addiction. They'll try to cope with that. Um, They'll try to cope with Know, pornography and they'll try to give me mean, so many different things. So you're seeing crime in your, in your neighborhoods you know 85 percent of youth in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. 80 percent of rapists motivated with displaced anger come from fatherless homes. It was said that of the 27 deadliest mass shootings, 26 of them were fatherless and so I mean there's so much stuff's coming from this you know even for the abortion issue you know, they, they say that 71 um, percent of pregnant teenage girls come from fatherless homes. And then if people try to tell me sometimes as we did our ministry, they would say, well, this is a certain, you know, certain economic background or a certain race. You know, it's, it's everywhere. It doesn't matter which size of the train tracks you're on. It's everywhere. And you know, there's a study that says a white teenage girl from an advantage background is five times more likely to become a teen mother if she grows up in a single mother household than if she grows up in a household with both biological parents. that dad just matters in a kid's life to either tell them, teach them how to respect themselves for a a boy, how to be a respectable person in society, how to respect a lady, how to respect themselves, or for a girl to feel that worth, to feel that value, to have that security that a dad provides. And when they don't have that, their life is off balance. You know, a lot of times we'll tell people that, you know, a child, whenever they have a, a godly mom and dad in their life, their life is in balance. It's like a scale. but when they, Whenever they don't have that mom or dad, their life's off balance, and that scale's off balance. But we as Christians can bring, bring you know, mentoring into their life. We can bring God into their life, and it helps them realize that there's a different path. There's a different hope that they can have um, in their life. And so that's, that's some of the things that, that are affecting these kids.
0: Well, you wrote a book, as you mentioned, called The Fatherless Journey for Guys. There's also a companion, as I understand it, The Fatherless Journey for Girls. You did the Single Mom Journey devotional book. You've also written some children's books, and I understand there's even a devotional that you have have written that is called God is My Dad, that uh, that takes people through some of the different principles with respect to fatherlessness. So as you're able to, to minister to people that are in that situation, what would you say are some basic principles to direct and encourage people as they are walking through this journey, a similar journey to what you had, the journey of being without a father?
4: Well, I would tell them, you know, really... For, for the parents I would tell them to have like for the single mom or the grandparent raising and grandkids I would tell them center your home on God you know have have God in the center of your home make God the center of the your whole and you know, when I say that I'm talking in, in your music in the stuff you watch in the things you talk about in in having devotions with your kids and getting them devotionals having devotions with them you know just being involved in their life on an, in a spiritual way where they can experience Experience God. Um, I would just say that that would be the way to do it. Now, if you're a FODLess individual, you know, claim to God and don't look at God like you would your earthly dad if he's walked away. Um, I was just talking to a girl the other day. We were at a Christian school speaking, and this young girl said that her dad died. And she just was really um, struggling with that. And she said she struggled with anger towards, towards God because her dad passed away and, she was mad at God for it. And that's what happens a lot of times whenever you're a, a young child's dad passes away, they may get bitter at God uh, because of that. They just don't understand, you know, the whole situation. Well, you know, I told her, I said, don't look at God like that. God allowed it to happen for a reason, but use it for God. You know, I don't know why my dad left. I don't know why, my, why God allowed my dad to leave, to walk away like he did. But you got to look at it with a different perspective. What can God do with my life? How can God use my story? You know, we look at Joseph. Joseph in the Bible, he went through so much so much stuff, so many trials, so many struggles that he had. But he looked at it with a heavenly perspective. He looked at it with a perspective of, okay, God allowed me to be thrown into slavery in this situation. God allowed me to be lied about and not thrown into prison. God allowed me to go through these things. He didn't know the whole outcome of what was going to happen, but he knew God was going to use him mightily in life. And that's the same thing with us.
0: Sean Tice here on The Intersection. You can learn more at lifefactors.org or godismydad.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can also find links to The Intersection in the Media Center as well as the Apple Podcast feed. You can also access video content Plus, two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Content from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and more. The Meeting House homepage, again, is MeetingHouseOnline.info. Thanks for joining me for this
4: edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.